I have one of those messages that I have no idea how long it's going to take to finish, all right? Which is not normally how things are. Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. And I just want to say that um, thinking about that story about Patrick Hamilton and also about my mother and her conversion, um, the, the preacher that was preaching when she first started getting serious about the Bible and salvation was, um, I don't even know his name, but she said that he said something that stuck with her. And he said, he held up his Bible when he was preaching and he said, I believe this book and I've staked my whole life on it. And that, that struck my mom as very interesting and different because she was raised in a church that, that taught her the Bible was a book of myths and stories and legends and you certainly couldn't trust anything for sure, but you know we just need to be nice to one another and we'll all go to heaven as long as we're nice. And when she heard someone taking the Bible seriously, that really challenged her and she was kind of like, wow, uh, either this is truth or it's not and I need to decide what it is. And it was very shortly after that that, uh, that she was saved. So we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 2 and we're going to be looking first at verse 12 and reading down from there. If you were with us on Sunday, we looked at Matthew 1. Uh, Matthew 2, the first section, is about the, um, the delivery of the gifts via the wise men. We'll pick up at verse 12, which is about them heading home. And <clears throat> as we look at verse 12, uh, we'll read down to verse 23. And uh, if we're able to stand, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse, chapter 2, verse 12. And being warned by God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. And when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken from the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and slew all the children who were in Bethlehem and in all its surrounding area from two years old and under, according to the time when he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then it was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are no more. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. And he arose, and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. However, being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And when he came and dwelled in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Let's have prayer together. Brother Rosario, would you pray for us, please? 
Amen. Please be seated. You can learn a lot about a person by who their friends are. And uh, friends certainly define a person and they impact us greatly. One person said that five years from now, you'll only be different based on the books you read and the friends you have. And um, I don't know if that's the only thing, but that's probably some very major things. Um, another thing that defines people is not who their friends are, but who their enemies are. And Jesus is defined somewhat by his enemies. We know his arch enemy would be Satan. But on earth, the enemy that he had in Herod was his enemy because Jesus was a king and Herod was a king. And guess what? They were in the, both in the same place, right? That's a bad thing to have two kings in one place. Did you know that? That's a really bad thing. Um, and so Herod has tried to use these wise men to find a way to Jesus. If you're familiar with the story, uh, it's, it, you can just read it in the early part of chapter 2 if you need a refresher. But uh, I want to look specifically at verse 15 when it says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. This is not something I have great knowledge on. I had to do a lot of study for this, and I still don't feel like I have a, a perfect and full understanding, but I do have enough that I know there's truth here for us tonight. I want to talk about Bethlehem, and I want to talk about Egypt for just a minute. Jesus was in Bethlehem. Jesus had, uh, was born in Bethlehem. He continued to live in Bethlehem. When the wise men came, we know that he was at least a little bit older, he was in a house. He, um, there, there's a different Greek word that's used for him that references a small child. Uh, some people place him all the way up to age two. Where do they get age two from? Because Herod killed all the way up to age two when he slaughtered the babies. Um, so maybe he was still, you know, nine months, 12 months, 15 months. We don't know his precise age, but we know he's a very small little uh, child, uh, maybe perhaps a toddler. And, um, and so they've been in Bethlehem all this time. But God orchestrates events like God does so beautifully. The wise men come, and simultaneously, they are both the danger point and the answer point for Mary and Joseph and the baby. They're the danger point because Herod finds out through them that there indeed is a child here that is claiming to be king of the Jews. But when they come, they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh, and these are very likely the resources they used to make this trip to Egypt. Um, we have no reason to think that Joseph or his wife were well off. And uh, in fact, the Bible, I think, makes reference of Jesus becoming poor for our sakes. So Jesus was not raised in wealth. But for this moment in time, they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Can I just take a quick pause? There are prophets of doom that talk about the economy collapsing and the dollar collapsing, and they could be right. I have no idea. But I just want to remind us as Christians, we have a God who watches over us, don't we? And if the doom occurs, if the Great Depression starts tomorrow, we have a God that can provide gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We have a God that can pull gold out of fish's mouths. We have a Lord that watches over us. And so we don't have to live in great fear. It doesn't mean that it wouldn't be a hard time. It may very well be a hard time. This was a hard time for them, was it not? But God provided for them. God knew and God sovereignly prepared a way for them. So the wise men go a different way back. They take a different journey home. Verse 13 says, When they had departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. Now this, if you have read a lot of the Bible or you've studied a lot of the Bible, this is curious 
this is a little strange because if you know something about Israel and you know something about Egypt, you generally don't go to Egypt. All right, you just don't go to Egypt, right? Um, there's Bethlehem and there's Egypt, and if you got to pick, you always pick Bethlehem over Egypt. But this situation was different. Let's talk quickly about Egypt. In Genesis 12, Abraham went there to great trouble, right? Uh, I believe a pharaoh or a king took his wife, and uh, he lied and said it was just his sister, and a great deal of trouble arose from that situation. Um, in Genesis 26, God warned Isaac specifically, don't go to Egypt. Um, later, Jacob's family, right, Joseph and all his brothers, they would move to Egypt and they would, uh, their descendants would be put into slavery. And for hundreds of years, the Israelites were under slave rule in Egypt. And as slaves, they were still the Lord's people, but they were afflicted greatly. And so Egypt was a place that had a bad record, had a bad rap in the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, we don't, uh, now let me just say, and we're going to get to this verse a little bit later, but God miraculously delivered his people out of that nation of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, brought them to Mount Sinai, gave them the Ten Commandments. Beautiful and wonderful story, right? God delivered them. And it was God's hand that did that. But he brought his nation out of Egypt. I, I had forgotten about this, but do you remember when Solomon died and the kingdom split into two? Rehoboam took the south, Jeroboam got the north. And do you know what the first nation was to attack Israel? Five years, five years into Rehoboam's reign, the southern kingdom was attacked by the nation of Egypt. Egypt attacks. And um, this is another little uh, tidbit, but um, when the Chaldeans were coming to surround and take over the southern kingdom, and Jeremiah was preaching and praying and prophesying there in the nation. He told the people, you will be taken over by the Chaldeans. And he prophesied that they would lose. And of course, that was not well received. People don't like prophecies of losing, do they? It was not well received. And, he, and the king of, of the kingdom, he said, I'm going to hire and I'm going to get an agreement with the king of Egypt. And he's going to come up with his armies and defend me. And he looked to Egypt to rescue him. And Jeremiah said, Egypt is not going to rescue you. You will lose. But the king looked to Egypt. And I've forgotten this too, but Jeremiah left the nation of Israel and he went into Egypt and he died there. And the very end of the book of Jeremiah, we have record of his prophesyings in Egypt. So I say all that to say, is it not interesting that the, the angel comes and says, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. Go there. Go to Egypt. Well, that is strange. That is unique. Go to Egypt. What was in Egypt? What was life like there then? Well, we might imagine that they would be radically out of place and they're in a pagan environment and so on. But let me remind us that Egypt was a well-governed Roman province and it was a place of safety. They had much better rulers over Egypt than, than the present ruler in Israel. And also there was lots of Jews. Now, that was surprising to me, but there was lots of Jews. In AD 40, which is some years later, the population of Jews in Egypt was estimated at one million. And so we certainly understand there to be thousands of Jews there, maybe even tens or hundreds of thousands of Jews in Egypt. And so they had a place of safety. They had a place where other Jews were. And God directs Joseph to take Mary, to take the baby, and flee into Egypt. Now, let's remember that one other thing about Egypt is Alexandria was famous in the city of Egypt 
for a place of learning. There was a college, there was a library there, and um, about 200 to 250 years before this time, the Greek Septuagint, that translation of the Old Testament into the Greek language, was done in Alexandria. And I find that so beautiful and so interesting to think about this fact that the Lord Jesus is sent into Egypt and there the Old Testament has been translated into the Greek language. There the Old Testament has been put into that language and here's Jesus going there and he is the promised one of the Old Testament, right? And so what a beautiful gospel lineup, you know, for God to do his work. Um, so, so some really great history that, that uh, kind of supports and, and fills in all of this. So he says, stay there, verse, uh, verse 13, stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So Jesus is going to leave the, the town of Bethlehem, the place that was prophesied of his birth, that place called House of Bread, that place where the star had come, that place where the angel sang, he is going to leave there, and he leaves in the middle of the night. This is not your normal trip. This is a fear-filled, we got to run out of town now sort of trip. I don't know if the soldiers had already descended upon the town. We don't know how close of a call it was. We don't know if babies were already being killed in the city when they got out of the, the edge of town. We don't know if it was that close of a call. But we knew that the, the dream had come. And God had warned Joseph and said, it's time to go. It's time to go now. And they gathered their things. They gathered that gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they gathered that baby, and they got out of town that night. It would have been about 75 to 100 miles. Uh, well, 75 miles to the border of Egypt. And into Egypt, they moved. Um, if you want to get into the heartland of Egypt, where it's a little more fertile and so on, would be about 100 miles. And, um, and so there they live. And we don't know precisely how long he lived there. Um, the Bible doesn't say. But it seems to be a relatively short period. Um, we, we know that the baby was two or under when they went there. And that seems evident from the context of Matthew. And we also know about when Herod died. And I, I mentioned him before, very wicked man. He had an awful disease. He was just horribly eaten up with pain. Wicked man, killed many, many people. And, um, and so he, his death is predicted already. And I find it interesting that the king that came after Jesus, first of all, he lost. He did not kill the Lord Christ. But secondly, he was very shortly after killed. And God saw fit to take his life. And, um, and so his life is taken, and then they, they do return. I want you to turn to a couple verses in the Old Testament now. And I want to uh, look at, the, so let's first turn to Hosea chapter 11, all right? Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. And um, let's see here. Amos, Obadiah, here you are, Hosea. So if you're using a simplified, it's page 856, Hosea 11.1. 1. And the Bible here says, When Israel was a child, I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. This is the verse that's being quoted in Matthew chapter 2. And there's nothing too peculiar about this verse and about the quotation until you keep reading. And as you read in verse 2 and verse 3, it says, as they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carved images. I also taught Ephraim to go, taking them by their arms. And as you read on down, it's very evident 
It's very evident. So, for instance, look at verse 5. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king because they refuse to return. So, as, as we read these verses, um, the, the scripture is saying that when Israel was a child, I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. The son that's being called out of Egypt in Hosea's mind and in Hosea's context is the nation of Israel back in Exodus. And so uh, I want to read another verse further back in Exodus um, that connects with this prophecy. And, uh, oh dear, I do not have the reference down. Um, well, let me just read it then, okay? I'll read it here. And, and you shall say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. This is Moses, a, a word from God to Moses. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your son, even your firstborn. And so when, when Israel as a nation was captive in the land of Egypt, God sent Moses to deliver them. Moses challenges Pharaoh. And God tells Moses, you go and you tell Pharaoh that Israel, those people, they're my son. And you're to let my son go. You're to let my son go out of Egypt. And remember what Pharaoh? Pharaoh said, no. No. And then he said, sure. Never mind. Right? And maybe. And no. Right? He just would not let them go. He would not let them go. This urging of God is at the last stage. Right before. And he threatens him. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your son, even your firstborn. And so, so God, through Moses, challenges Pharaoh. And he says, you let my son go. You let my son go. You let him go. You let him go. And finally, God lets him go. How is it then that Matthew can quote this verse of Jesus? How is it then that this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus? What does this mean? Well, this is a prophecy that we speak of having double fulfillment. And maybe even in a sense, we would not even use double fulfillment. What we would say is that Hosea wrote his verse out of Egypt I have called my son. He wrote his verse looking back. And he maybe didn't realize that it was a prophecy and that it would be applied to Jesus. But he simply wrote what the Spirit of God told him to write. And God had a mind for that verse. One, first, as a historical record of what had already happened. And also as a prediction of what God would later do with the Lord Christ. I want to compare a couple things between these two callings out of Egypt. And then we'll make some applications from the story as well. In both of these situations, God called his son out in the midst of other death. What was happening in Egypt? Do you remember what was happening in Egypt? The male children were being killed. Do you remember? Moses was the one that was delivered. But the, the children were being killed and there was extermination of, of babies. Infanticide was going on. And God said, come out of Egypt. Now, in the story of Christ, it's a similar thing in that there was infanticide around the situation. But here, Egypt is the opposite in that Egypt is the place of refuge from it. Right? So there is a, uh, a, a similar theme, but a different application, a different um, angle on it. Uh, we also see that God called both sons out to serve him. Right? He, God called his people out of Egypt and he said, I need you to serve me in the wilderness. I need you to come offer sacrifice to me. Do you remember they were going to offer sacrifices and worship to the Lord? 
Can I ask a question? Did Jesus come out of Egypt to serve God with a sacrifice? Yes, he did. He was the sacrifice. And he left Egypt because there was a work for God to do. Egypt was not the place for Jesus. It was for a short time. We'll get to that in just a minute. But there was a mission for him. God had called him to serve him out in the land of Israel. The people of God were called out of Egypt to serve him in Israel. Thirdly, God called both sons out to be a light. The nation of Israel was called to be a light to the world. Do you remember when Solomon was king? How people came to him and learned of his wisdom? The queen of Sheba came and sat and learned of the wisdom of God from Solomon. Do you remember how God set up the, the, um, the, the temple and the, uh, the word of God and so on? And there was a specific place in the temple for the Gentiles, wasn't there? There was the court of the Gentiles. What does that mean? Even way before Christ came, Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles. Others came to faith. We read in the New Testament of proselytes. That is, people who came to Judaism and then they came to Jesus, right? And so that nation was meant to be a light to bring people to God. Now, Christ is the light of the world, is He not? He is our light. And He could not be that light in Egypt. That was not the place for Him. It was not God's final call in His life. But God called Him out to be a light. And lastly, God called both sons out to the promised land. Um, there was a place where Jesus was supposed to be raised. There was a place where Jesus was supposed to minister. And Jesus could not fulfill God's will in Egypt. He had to be called out of Egypt um, to, to fulfill God's mission. And so it was with the nation. They had to leave Egypt and they had to come to the promised land. That was the place God had given them. That was the place they were to serve him. Now, as we read the rest of the story, let me just quickly summarize. A dream comes again after Herod dies and says it's time to go back. And I love this because Joseph heads back and it appears like on the way or, yeah, it appears in the story like on the way he finds out, oh no, who's taking over? He first, he heard that so-and-so was taking over, but instead it's Archelaus is what's uh, given here. Archelaus, well, Herod had more than one son. And you know what he did? He changed his will right before he died. And so when the word first came that he had died, people assumed the ruler would be the other person he had set up. But instead, very shortly before his death, he had switched it, and Archelaus was about as bad as his dad was. And so at this point, Joseph and Mary and the child are already on their way back into Israel, and they're hearing the news. No, Archelaus is ruling? No, that can't be. The dream told me to come back to Israel, right? And who's in control? Archelaus is in control. We're, what are we going to do? And it specifically says that, that Joseph was afraid. In verse 22, he was afraid. He was afraid. Now, I want to point out something. There's one sense in which Joseph didn't need to fear, right? Because, well, at least he didn't need to fear for Jesus. Because God had a promise and a plan for this son. But there was no promise that Mary would live till 80 years old. There was no promise that Joseph would make it till 80 years old. And so there's no specific divine promise that they're going to live X number of years. So he was afraid. He's fearful. And he says, well, God told me to come into Israel, but I'm, I'm not going back to Bethlehem because that Archelaus guy is there. And there's no way I'm going to live under him. He's wicked just like his dad. And this is what God uses to move him to Nazareth. And look at the last phrase of verse 23. He shall be called a Nazarene. 
See, God's plan for him was to be raised in Nazareth. Jesus was not meant to be raised in Egypt. And Jesus was not meant to be raised in Bethlehem. Jesus was meant to be raised in Nazareth. And in Nazareth, it was a place, in, in our culture, we might think of it as the sticks. There's the city and there's the sticks, right? There's the white collar and there's blue collar. And Jesus was raised in the sticks. He was raised in the blue collar. He was raised in the ordinary village up in the north, not a, a fancy place, not near the temple, not near all the, the power of Jerusalem. He was raised in Nazareth. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Jesus was meant to spend a short time there, but he was not meant to be raised there. Jesus would not be called an Egyptian. Jesus would not be called an exile or someone who's cast around the world outside the land. No, he would be known as an Israelite. He would be known as someone born in the land and raised in the land. He could not remain in Egypt forever. Let's learn a couple things from the story. This is an a area of Christ's life that I have not studied much. Let's remember this. God can have more than one purpose. I think this is an important thing to learn in life. Sometimes we try to figure out, what, what is it that God's doing? Why did God allow that? Why, did, why does the Bible say that? Why is this how it went? And sometimes we think we know the answer. Oh, I know the answer. This is why. But you know, our God is so smart. Usually it's not just one answer. It's like five answers or seven answers or ten answers. That's how big our God is. He's doing so much more than we see, right? And when, God go, when Christ is sent to Egypt, people might say, well, I wonder why that was. Oh, I know why it was. I know why it was. It was because... Uh, Herod was going to try to kill him, and he protected him. Well, let's ask a quick question. Is it possible for God to protect Jesus somewhere else? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he could have just put a halo of light around him, and anyone that tried to get close would just die or something, right? But that's not how he's going to do it. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. But uh, my point is, is that God was doing multiple things by allowing or sending Christ, specifically sending Christ to Egypt. He apparently was fulfilling a prophecy. He... Um, he apparently, let's see here, I have some more things further up here. He was protecting him from danger. He was fulfilling a prophecy. And it looks also like he's trying to draw an analogy or a typology to the nation of Israel and to Christ himself. This is a big topic for another day, but do you know the Bible speaks of Jesus as the second Adam? We understand that. We understand him to be the son of David or the second David, right, the king. And we know him in this way. But do you know that Jesus is also the... If I could use the term second Israel, he fulfilled in ways that Israel failed. Israel failed to be a light. Jesus was the true light. Israel failed to love the Gentile. Jesus loved the Gentile, right? So we could make other analogies there. But my point is that Jesus is fulfilling and is overcoming the failures of Israel. He is our second Israel, if you will. And then oh, what about this? What about a gospel purpose? Remember I said there was lots of Jews there? That's their king too. And there was Jews in Egypt, and I just can't believe. There's a Septuagint Old Testament in Greek. There's the Jewish you know, population that's there. It's a place of relative peace and safety. And if they were there for months or a year or two, whatever the timeline, I believe other people heard that the Christ child has come. And God's spreading the gospel message, right? So there's a lot more to the story than, than we instantly realize. Secondly, God's divine promises do not eliminate human means. So I mentioned earlier that Jesus was predicted that he would be the son of, that he would be the, the servant and he would die on the cross and he would do all these things. 
Joseph could have just said, well, God promised to send him. He can't kill him off yet, so I'm just going to lay around in Bethlehem. Right? Well, just because God's given a promise does not mean we just throw common sense to the wind or throw caution to the wind, right? Some people will say, well, God's promised to protect me, so I don't lock my doors and I don't wear my seatbelt and you know, I don't buy insurance or any of that because God's promised to protect me. Well, just because we have a promise doesn't mean we just throw away human decision or human wisdom. And so there's an application there that we wisely implement God's promises in our life and follow his directions because that promise of protection was lived out in a certain way, wasn't it? The dream came and said, go here. And sometimes God will direct us very specifically in fulfillment of his promises. So uh, we, we don't want to outthink God. Lastly, sometimes God has you in a temporary place. This place of Egypt was not forever. It was but a slice of life in the Savior's life. And probably one that uh, many would try to minimize or, or <laughs> kind of forget about. But this was a season of time where Jesus was in Egypt. He could not live there forever. That was not his final home or his, his majority home even. It was just a season. It was a chapter. It was a piece of his life. And sometimes God has you in a temporary place. Um, this is the life of Christ. It is beautiful. It is unique. It is, it is uh, lovely. Um, I hope it's been a help in some way. I know it's a bit uh, different. Let's close in prayer and we'll take any questions. Lord, I thank you for the scripture that says, out of Egypt you have called your son, and you did call him out. I'm thankful that you did. We see the life that he lived in Israel. We see his purpose and his mission. Lord, I thank you that Christ was protected all the way till that moment where he chose to give his life. Lord, it was not taken, but it was yielded up in your divine plan and your divine will. And as we think about the nation of Israel and how they failed and how you uh, we're the, the overcoming uh, Israel, the true Israel, if you will. I pray that we'll recognize that we are the failures and you are the success. We are the sinners and you are the Savior. And I thank you for being that one that calls us to call you our Father. And I pray that we will meditate on these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, any question or comment? All right, we have one back there. Okay, in the applications or? Okay. Do not eliminate human means. Means is the idea of methods or plans. Yeah. Yes, sir. You know what? That's an excellent point of discussion because it's not explicitly given. And there's a lot of theories about that. Some people think it's synthesized from a variety of texts and kind of put together. Others see it as like an oral tradition handed down. Um, it's interesting it's in the plural, prophets, plural. And um, yeah, we don't, we don't see that. And that's an interesting point of discussion. Yeah. But we know if the Bible says the prophets prophesied, it was prophesied. It's just not maybe written down in our, our scripture. So anyone else? Question or comment? You know, I didn't even get to this whole application. There's much more that could be said. But Egypt is often a type of the world in the Bible. And Israel, the nation, was called out of that to live a life for God. Jesus entered the world, right? And then he was taken out of the world. And, you know, if we see it in that light, 
um, just the idea that we live in the world, but we are called to not be of the world, right? And so God has better things for us than Egypt has to offer. And a lot of that teaching can come just through the nation of Israel and their story and how they were corrupted and influenced by it. But um, God has better things for you outside of Egypt, if we could make that application there. All right, well, let's shift to our prayer time. Timothy, would you help us out and run down to my office? I'm sorry, it's in my computer bag. I meant to grab those. Um, but we are going to um, have our prayer time, and then we will be dismissed. Do we have any prayer requests to add to our list tonight?